You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And then from there, we're going to look at John 15, 13 through 15. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, thank you, Haley. And for those that are taking care of the kids, we appreciate that so much. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. And I didn't know whether we were in heaven or what, and we were just going to continue to hear that music. In the background, I see Eric up there busily working. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is called the love chapter, and it is a great passage. We have portions of it around our home on plaques and things to remind us of of these verses. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, Paul said, first of all, and now I will show you a most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. Now I want you to hold your finger there and I want you to go to John chapter 15, 13 through 15. John chapter 15, 13 through 15 because we're going to be looking at this passage John chapter, thir- uh, John chapter 15, beginning at verse 13. Now in verse 12, let's look at that. Verse 12, John chapter 15, verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man or no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. I want you to go back, look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you and we love you. We give you all the glory and honor. You alone are worthy to be praised. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, I, I, 
I thought about titling this different things, the power of one, what one man, one woman can do. Um, I don't know how many of you have seen it, but David and Debbie, you may be, don't forgive me for picking on you, but do you remember the old first Walking Tall movie with Joe Don Baker? Walking Tall. Many of you have seen a later version. I think The Rock, I always say when I get to heaven, I'm going to look like that, The Rock. But anyway, in this movie, Walking Tall, it is based on a real event and a real individual, a man by the name of Buford Pusser, if I remember. And Buford Pusser was kind of a legend of sorts. He, uh, he went into a community, and the community that he went into was overrun by drugs, by alcohol, by crime, by gambling, prostitution. It had corrupt governmental officials. It was just a liter it was literally a community that was in bondage to the criminal element, to evils. And he goes into this community, he tangles with this uh, entourage, this entity, this evil entity in that community, and eventually he becomes the sheriff, and he's known for the fact that he carries a big stick. You know, Teddy Roosevelt said this, we as a nation should walk soft, but we should carry a big stick. I don't think we carry a big stick anymore. But anyway, Buford Pusser then went on, and I wrote this down, he gave the community, it wasn't just literally a one man, he gave the community the courage to stand together against evil. And ultimately, it's a true story, and he changed that community, that environment. I thought to myself, I had an opportunity. I was in a furniture store in Yazoo City, and I had an opportunity to meet Buford Pusser. I'll never forget, he was a big man. And I stood there, I shook hands with him, had an opportunity to visit him and, and uh, meet him. And afterwards, not long after that, he was killed. He was killed in a single car accident. And many people believe that the criminal element took him out. But I thought to myself, I thought the, the power of one. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. There's another movie called The Power of One. It's a story of a young British boy. He's a little boy. He's raised by his mom. His dad has died. He's in South Africa during the time of World War II and apartheid. And this little British boy grows up. In fact, he nurses on the bosom of an African woman. And he grows up in, an, in the South African environment, and he's British. Now, the British were the enemy. They were our allies, the enemy of Nazi Germany, and they were also the enemy of the Dutch who were behind the apartheid system in South Africa, one of the most racist governments that's ever been. Uh, this little boy, eventually his mother dies. She collapses and dies. He goes to a boarding school run by, a, run by the Afrikaner, those allies of the Nazis, of Hitler, and ultimately he learns to box. And this little boy goes, uh, grows up to become an unbelievable boxer. But he slips down into areas of, of, of uh, Johannesburg. He slips into those high-density townships where it was illegal for black Africans to learn to read, and he began to teach black Africans how to read and how to write. 
and eventually he's in one fight after another because he stands against apartheid and the movie is called The Power of One. Young people, I would encourage you to watch that. The Power of One Life. A Nelson Mandela. The Power of One Life. I have to say, and I'm just going to be honest with you, after Wednesday I've been very, very upset. In our midweek service this past Wednesday, uh, Emily Williams was coming to church on midweek service, coming with her children. She was actually coming early because her children were asking about what it about salvation, and they've been talking to Annalise and now Micah. And you know, when children begin to follow in believers' baptism, it begins to it begins to speak into the heart of other children. And so she was bringing her four children. To, to me, to my office, for me to talk to them about salvation. As she came to the intersection of Belvedere and Raymond Road, there was an, and I prayed that this corner station down here burned down. But anyway, she came around that corner. There was a scene, uh, began to be a shootout between vehicles, between people running, bullets were going everywhere. Emily with her four children down, crowding down in the bottom of her van and her vehicle began to follow. She was actually, John has it on video, where, where the vehicle with the guy hanging out of the vehicle coming down Raymond Road was in the shootout. And she's whipping in our church right as these people are finishing and they're scattering and running. The video's an eye-opener. I would challenge every one of you to look at the video. It's posted on Facebook, and I, and I shoot very straight and very honest with where the community is. Thursday, as I was taking my granddaughter, Emma Grace, to, to school, we were going down Clinton Boulevard, and traffic was backed up at the, at the, uh, on Clinton Boulevard there at the fire station, and there were two lines waiting for the light to turn. There were people coming this way, and a young man in an SUV just went around everybody, weaved through, passed through the red light and went around and it made me so angry because I thought of Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 4 where he said that the law was paralyzed and in the, in the Hebrew that means the law is ignored, ignored. You do not in this city take for granted when you come to a green light that it is no longer safe. And in this country today, the criminal element now is empowered. We're living in a day now when the criminal element of most major cities today has been empowered now. They, they, they almost have an attitude as if the law is ignored and they can do whatever they want to do. And you long for that single person, that one man, that one woman who says no. Debbie Lott became my hero. I shared her story at First Baptist Church Florida in a revival recently where they have just retired uh, from the Baptist Children's Village. They live over here in South Jackson, just settling in. At about that time, like in so many communities, gunfire was going off and she walked out and there were young men over on the other side across the street and they were all firing their weapons. And she hollered and said, Hey! 
you boys need to pack it up and move it out. They turned and looked with all their weaponry and looked at her as if she was crazy. And she said, I said you need to pack it up and move it out. And my friend, they packed up and moved it out. Where are those voices today? Let me tell you, had one of those children been shot or killed making their way to church, we probably would be closing this church because people would no longer feel safe. Communities and cities are not fixed by the police. If you're waiting for JPD and this mayor, which to my honest opinion needs a lot of prayer, But if you're, waiting for, if you're waiting for politics and law enforcement to fix a community, that'll never happen. Communities are fixed by communities, people who come together, and they basically say, enough's enough. But you wonder, where, where, where will it be? Where's that righteous indignation? In fact, to be honest with you, as I watched that video, I felt ashamed because while a mom was trying to pull her van into safety, one of our men was going and walking behind a vehicle as he heard the gunshots, and I thought to myself, the last thing we need is somebody not confronting. The reality is, had I been in the parking lot, I would have probably shouted at the car as it was going by, even at the risk of being shot. Where's righteous indignation? How long do we allow people to live and do whatever they want to do? Where is that one man, that one woman? I thought about Noah in Genesis chapter 6 when the world was so corrupt and God looked at this man. The Bible called him a preacher of righteousness. Righteous indignation. We forget that while he was building a 450-foot boat, 75 feet uh, tall, and, and uh, building this massive boat out on the middle of the desert, we forget that he was a preacher of righteousness. He was a single voice that was preaching and, and speaking at a time when it was probably very difficult. I thought about Moses. Moses, uh, the son of slaves who at 80 years of age went back to Pharaoh and confronted this world empire and this world leader and said, let my people go and spoke out. I, I thought about Esther, who encouraged by Mordecai, the, the slave girl who became a queen, and Mordecai, her cousin, who had raised her, who said to her when she became the queen, you're going to have to stand up. You're going to have to risk your life and go before the king on behalf of the Jewish people. And, and Esther said, but I may die. And Mordecai said, that's true. But who's to say that God has not called you but for such a time as this? Where is that righteous indignation? Where is that voice? Thought about Gideon in the Bible, in the book of Judges. You know what the Bible said, Gideon? Gideon was this man. He was just a, he was just a farmer. 
And, 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 and the Jewish people were being plagued by the Midianites and the Amalekites. They would come in and they basically would just steal and rob and harass and, and, and they'd do all the damage to the community. And you know what Gideon was doing? Gideon was harvesting his wheat and hiding out. He was hiding. He was down, I think if I remember, down in an area where they milled and he was trying to hide from the enemy. God comes to him and God says to him, he says, Midian, he said, I am tired of this. I need a man that will stand. And he looked at Midian and you know what he called him, this coward that was hiding? He called him, O man of valor. And Midian looked at him like, you're, you, I mean, Gideon, Gideon, why am I saying Midian? I guess I got Midian on my mind because of Midian, our African pastor friend. But Gideon, Gideon, Gideon who's hiding out. And here we have Gideon. God looks at him and says, you're a man of valor and then raises up Gideon to be that man that will address and stand against the enemy. And ultimately he did that. And I thought to myself, where is that community? The greatest need in this nation today, I believe, is a black man or woman filled with God's Holy Spirit who will speak the truth. Oh God, it grieves my heart that King was killed. How we need a voice today in the African-American community that can make a difference that can ring across this land and bring a great spiritual awakening. And it, my friend, it does not come with an Al Sharpton or a Jesse Jackson. It comes with a man of God. I thought about this community and I thought about how sad this city is as it's literally being dismantled and falling apart around us. And we as a church continue to stay here and do all that we do in an attempt to reach this community in this city. And even as I looked at this, I thought, you know, number one, these were people in crisis. When I look at Noah and his family, the, the world was in a crisis. God was about to bring judgment on the world. You know, I really believe this. I want you to hear me. I believe that America is getting ready to be judged by God far more than we have ever thought we would be. I don't know, but I'm not sure we're not living in the last days. But Ruth Bell Graham said, if God spares America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And over 80 million people in this country, totally driven by political ideologies continually, we vote to destroy the unborn when we have imaging today that literally can read the face of the unborn in the womb and watch them grimace, watch them cry, watch them laugh, and they are just as human as ever, created by God, and we systematically are murdering them, and now we have legalized it for the full nine months. If a child is aborted and survives the abortion, they are killed by this government. We have, we have redefined the institution of marriage now. And the recent fiasco there in Afghanistan has once again demonstrated that we as a nation are no longer the leaders. 
for some of you, you may say, you may, you may not even like this sermon, which I, I'm sorry. But I remember in Zimbabwe one time, I remember in Zimbabwe, Matt Scapel and I were invited into a home. And a man and woman sat there under this socialist government in Zimbabwe run by a dictator by the name of Robert Mugabe. Robert Mugabe was a black African leader. Nelson Mandela said that he was crazy, that he was a madman. He was a billionaire when he died about 95 years of age. He raped the nation for everything that it had. But I remember this African couple looking at Matt and I and saying these words through tears as they were weeping. We thought the American people would save us. And then she looked and she said, and you didn't. When I look at these people, when I look at Noah, when I look at Moses, when I look at Esther, when I look at some of these great leaders, these men and women, Gideon, when I look at these individuals, I think to myself, they were in an environment much like we are, in a nation, in a world, in a community, in a society that systemically was falling apart. And God only needs one man. He only needs one woman. I preached on this corner. Have you? I've drove crosses up and down this community. Have you? I've gone to 200 doors in one week. Have you? Have you quit going? Do you give up? Do you no longer see how desperate the hour is? You see, Jesus made this statement. He said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And I thought to myself, he's not simply talking about the idea of sacrificially dying, martyrdom. He's talking about you and I taking our life, investing it into the kingdom of God, even at the risk of death. We are not the man who hides behind the vehicle when a drive-by shooter is going by, we are the one that says, as this woman did, you need to stop that. You're not going to do that in this community. And you're not going to endanger the lives of innocent people. That mother who was trying to save her children came and wept downstairs because of a 13-year-old girl who's in a wheelchair who was shot by a drive-by shooter and is permanently now in a wheelchair. Who cares the five-year-old who died in the drive-by in Wood Village? Who cares the 10-year-old who died over there near the old Jackson Mall? Where are the marches? Where's the Black Lives Matter? Where's the leftist liberal? When people are having shootouts hanging out of vehicles on a major thoroughfare at 5.30, 5 and 5.30 in the afternoon when working people are going home. We're in a crisis. And I wrote this down. God doesn't call a nation. He doesn't call a people. He calls a single life, one man, one woman. He doesn't choose royalty. He doesn't choose governmental political elites. 
He chooses a man like Moses, a slave. He chooses a man like Gideon, who's a farmer. He chooses those men and women who are willing to risk their lives to change their communities. And if, you know what Esther said? Mordecai told her, he said, Esther, he said, you have got to take a stand. Esther said this, if I go before the king, the Persian king, the most powerful figure in the world, if I go before him unsummoned, he can kill me. He had already took care of the previous queen and he could do it with Esther as well. And Mordecai looked at her and he said, Esther, and I want you to listen. He said, Esther, you are a Jew and sooner or later wicked old Haman who's hatched this plot to kill the Jews, sooner or later is going to catch up with you and you're going to die. You're going to die. But who's to say that God has not called you but for such a time as this? You know what Esther said to Mordecai? She said, I'll go. I'll risk my life. The women, some of you women in this community, live in this community, you could go down and you could stop this crap up here on this corner by praying and by speaking the truth, holding Bibles and walking up and down these streets and beginning to speak. We, men and women, all of us could make a difference if we haven't just given up, thrown in the towel and said, well, it's just that way. My friend, we better wake up because if China invades Taiwan, it will be an act of war and we will be in a mess you could never begin to imagine. I have dreamed for years that China would eventually invade Taiwan and if they do, then we've got a big, big problem. And you may say, what does that have to do to you, with you? Because I, a long time ago, turned down an international church in Taipei, Taiwan, who asked me to come and pastor that church. And the only reason my wife and I turned it down was because our children would have to go to boarding school. And we felt like at that moment we needed to be vested in our children. We're in desperate times. Economically, we're frightened. And unless you've been in a country where the currency drops and dies like that, you have no idea. I watched the Zimbabwe dollar, which was once stronger than the U.S. dollar. I watched it go to such a worthless value that they quit even using the currency. And you say, well, what do we do? One man, one woman making a difference. Who will be a Noah? Who will be a Gideon? Who will be an Esther? Who will be an Esther that walks the streets of this city and takes tracks in the gospel and goes to this city? Who will be a Noah that will stand on a street corner with that cross in the hallway and preach the gospel and say to people that are coming around there, my friend, it's hard to get in a shootout when a man or woman of God is praying or holding a Bible and preaching the gospel. 
You want to frighten people? I have preached on street corners and watched people with fear try to literally get away because they couldn't stand to hear it. Yesterday, we watched the number one team in the nation, Alabama, Nick Saban. They went to Texas A&M. They stood in a state, they went to a stadium that had over 106,000 people, second, the second highest attended event in that stadium ever for the entire game. 106,000 people stood there to, to their feet for over three hours screaming and shouting and waving constantly. You ever realize some people get upset because you raise a hand in a worship service? Screaming for over three hours. And I thought to myself last night as I laid in my bed, I thought, God, that's how we feel as a body of Christ, as believers. We are surrounded in a post-Christian time in a nation to where we feel more ostracized, more alienated, and more persecuted. And my friend, it's not going to get better. The church is being persecuted. It will continue to be persecuted. If we continue to move on this socialist, leftist, woke agenda, then the reality is the church will become more ostracized, more alienated. It will soon lose its tax support, uh, its tax exemption over time, and eventually it will be illegal to meet like we're meeting right now. And you say, Brother Jeff, I don't believe that. Well, my friend, when I was a kid growing up and I read where uh, John said there'll be a day in the future, in the end time, when our enemy will control the economy of the entire world with a number, and that number is 666, I thought that's ludicrous. I can't imagine that ever happening. My friend, we are moving toward a single one-world currency, a one-world government, and we are, we are literally at a point to the re where the reality is we could be in the last days. Uh, you are not a name and you're not a picture. You are a number. And every product you buy is a number. And eventually the vaccine, which we believe in, it has nothing to do with the vaccine. It's just one more polarizing, uh, you know, silly, ridiculous stuff that we get called up in in this country, whether people are masked or not vaccined or not. My friend, there's a lot more serious issue, and that's spiritually what's happening to the souls of American people. We get as concerned about that as we are concerned about vaccines and masks. We'll turn this country around. But the reality is, just as there are more and more lean, more and more movement toward not flying, not carrying on commerce, not doing anything unless you've been vaccinated, and that being somehow, somehow reflected in some way so that you have a card or something is just a taste of the direction that we're moving in a world that is eventually moving toward one world government, one world control of our economy. Are we living in the last days? I don't know, but I can tell you this much. If I agree with Ruth Bell Graham, if God spares America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. But one man, one woman, one Esther, one Moses, one Gideon, one Noah can turn it around. 
I've spent my life in the civil rights movement. I've given my life. I've suffered greatly in my 65, nearly 66 years of standing on racial equality and justice and all of that. I've, I've, I've spent my life, but I've said it over and over and over and over and over and over again that if there were a great spiritual awakening within the black community, we could turn this country around in a single moment. And I wonder who it'll be. All these people, Noah, you imagine God saying to Noah, Noah, I want, you to build a, I want you to build a boat before it rains. And Noah's going, we've never had rain. I know, but it's coming. It's my judgment. Never seen rain before. Never been rain. I want you to build a boat. I want you to build it 450 feet long. I want you to build it 75 feet wide. I want you to build it 45 feet tall. And I want you to get ready, Noah, because storm's coming. My judgment's coming. And that ship is my salvation. And this preacher of righteousness, this common, ordinary, everyday man, began to obey God, he and his three sons. In the middle of a desert, no water, nowhere around, began to preach the gospel, preach righteousness, while at the same time pleading with people while every day people heard this sound, every day. Every morning, the sound of his hammer, every evening. Preacher of righteousness. You know what Moses said to God when God called him? He said, God, I'm nothing, I can't talk, I can't talk. And I'm sure he said, God, I can't stutter. I can't talk. I can't go to the most powerful political figure, Pharaoh, and talk about letting my people go. Who are you, God? And that's not all. Who am I? I can't do it. I'm nobody. I can't even talk. And God says, I'll raise up Aaron, your brother. He'll talk for you. You'll be like God. He'll be like your prophet. Moses, go and do what I've called you to do. You know what, Moses? He thought, I, I, I can't do that. When Esther, when Esther went before the Persian king to spend a night with him, she was probably competing with 25 million women in a beauty contest. But God took one, one Jewish maiden girl touched her with his Holy Spirit and put her in the most powerful, powerful position next to the Persian king. And likewise, the Jewish people were celebrating to this day what they call the Feast of Purim, which is simply when Esther stood up and said no more and saved her. People didn't think there were anything. Gideon said, 
when God came to him, he was hiding out, scared to death, shaking. And God called him, you mighty man of valor. God sees in you what you can't even see in yourself. And you never know. And I never know. And all it does, it begins with one man, one woman, just one boy, one girl, one teenager, who finally says, that's enough. And I'm going to take a stand for Christ. And I'm going to preach the gospel. And if I die, I die. Doctor was doing surgery in an African hospital. An intern was next to him. And the intern was there. And they could hear the distant sound of guerrilla warfare, of fighting going on. And the intern, who was somewhat shaking, looked at the doctor, true story, and said to the doctor who was in the middle of this surgery, he said, aren't you afraid you will die? The surgeon stopped. He looked at the intern and he said, no. He said, I died a long time ago. You know what the problem is in so many of our lives? We're not dead. We're still alive. Still trying to hang on to this life. Still trying to be popular. Still trying to fit in. Still trying to be one of the group, one of the gang. We'd rather have a that a boy. Somebody slap us on the back. Somebody, hey teenagers, we want to fit in. We don't want to stand up. I've spent my life on the civil rights movement. But I can tell you this much, there is a concerted effort, I believe, by a group that is doing everything they can to dismantle the African-American community. Roe v. Wade has not affected any ethnicity more than the African-American, and yet the African-American 90 to 100% votes in favor of those who are killing their own people abortion we're in difficult times difficult days and you may say brother Jeff what, what can I do you can do exactly what Moses and Noah and Esther and Gideon did you can say Lord here am I as Isaiah said in Isaiah 6 Lord here am I send me or you can sleep. My chest hurts. I may not be here long, but may my words haunt you if you don't start caring, and I'm talking on that, and some of you will never share this. You don't share the tough stuff. You like being liked. You want to be liked on social media. That's what you're concerned. You want likes. You want shares. You care nothing about the millions of people that are dying and going to hell on social media. You put all that crap on social media when the reality is you care nothing about the souls of the men and women that are reading. And the reality is, is that you may say, Brother Jeff, and it's exactly that. 
Social media today, Facebook, is literally one more leftist organization that censors pretty much everything you put up there. But the one thing you can put up there is this message. But you won't do it. And you won't either, sitting at home afraid. Cowards. The reality is, is one man, one woman, the power of one life. Some of you young people who celebrate Black History Month and talk about Martin Luther King Jr. have never take time to read, read his autobiography. In his autobiography, Martin Luther King, one night at 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning, has been received death threat after death threat he walks in there, he looks at his wife, he looks at his children, and he walks out and his heart is so heavy. He perks, he makes a pot of coffee after midnight and he's drinking coffee and he's saying to God, why? His words in that moment are unbelievable. When I read them, I always weep because I understand how he feels. One African-American voice of one male, one, one man, one woman who will once again hear the cry of the unborn, who once again will realize that abortion is killing African-American more than any other ethnicity, who will recognize that redefining the institution of marriage through the LGBTQ movement is literally the wrong step and the wrong thing politically. And the list goes on and on. And you say, why do you say that to the African-American? Because they're the most solid voting bloc in this country and can turn us around like that. If there is any, any change, revival that takes place, spiritual awakening. How depraved are we? Go back and look at the Grammy Awards. Look at the Grammy Awards. And look at the two African-American women that are carrying on homosexual acts in front of a crowd of people with millions of others watching and realize that's how depraved we become in this country. And while we harass and ridicule and censor the voice of truth on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all the other social media venues, while the left censors all of that, we will allow that to come across our TVs at prime time and nobody will say a word. Oh, God help us. One man, one woman, one life. Let's pray. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, I just come to you and we come to you, Lord. And Lord, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that, Lord, you begin to weigh in the hearts of men and women, young people, boys and girls. Lord, I pray for that one man, that one woman, that one voice. Lord, this voice is tired. And Lord, I need help. And that cross that sits in this hallway, there are young men and women in this room they could take that cross and begin to go up and down these streets and begin to pray across this community. There are men and women in this room that could go down to the corner of Belvedere and, and Raymond Road and begin to preach the gospel. If nothing else, there are women that could gather and begin to pray. I think about that woman who prayed 
for an old juke joint, an old bar that just literally was nothing but a seedbed of nothing but evil. And she prayed and she prayed. When one day she called that dear, precious black woman friend of hers, and she said, would you come pray with me this Friday night? I don't think I can take living across the street from this old place anymore. Her and that woman, they prayed that Friday night well into the night. Finally, that sweet little black woman went home. Next morning, that building was burned to the ground. That woman called her black friend and said, Ma'am, she said, I don't know what it is. I've prayed long and hard, but, but you came and prayed one time, and that building's burned down. It's not there anymore. And that black woman said it as only she could. She said, and Honey, I put feet behind my prayer. I burned it down last night when I left your house. I'm not asking people to burn down anything. But I am asking for us to get some courage and strength. I'm asking that, dear Lord, we stand up and evil prospers because good men and women do nothing. So I'm asking us to stand up and I'm asking those who, who may see this video. And I know there are people in this room, they think to themselves, we're, we're not a very big crowd today and we're just a little church in South Jackson and, and there's not much, but Lord, I preached a sermon called What to Do If You Miss the Rapture, and that sermon is about 30,000 views on YouTube right now. It doesn't take much for us to hit a share button. It doesn't take much for us to take a gospel message or a warning and take it and begin to share it and say, I want to be counted even on social media. If I'm censored, I'm censored. And if I'm killed on the street corner, I'm killed on the street corner. What better way to die? Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Before my body hits the pavement, I'll be standing in front of Jesus. Lord, there have been too many things that are wrong. There have been families in this church. They've had dear, precious family members that have died. Families that stood next to a young man who sat at a, at a light, waiting for that light to change, pulled up, entered into a conversation with him, told him they were glad to see him home, and even told him, said, you know, Jesus loves you. And he smiled and said, Jesus has got this. He went two or three blocks down the road and was shot and killed. I think of Willie's, I think of Willie's nephew, C.J., who just happened to be in the wrong place where three people were murdered and killed. And I think about CJ as he ran out of that house, running for his life across that backyard, shot four times in the back. As Daniel said, Daniel Russell said, when I asked Willie in our LTG this week, I said, that neighborhood knows what went on. They know the truth. Daniel said they are afraid to say the truth. Wow. And in that moment, I looked at Willie and I said, your nephew's blood will cry for justice. Where are the marches? Where is the ideology of the left for the five-year-old killed, the 10-year-old killed, the young man fleeing for his life? Oh God, get a hold of this community, get a hold of this city. Give us political leaders that will make a difference, that are not afraid to be counted, that will stand up. Help us, give us a backbone. Help us to have the courage and the strength 
of a godly man or woman who stands up and says, as Debbie said, you can't do that here anymore. It's not to say that we're meaning harm to anybody. We want people to be saved. So Lord, speak to our hearts. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Whatever that decision is, you've got a chance to make it right now.